0: Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. You can find all those social media accounts at my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B R I O N, McLanahan.com. You'll find all those buttons at the top of the page. Click on them and take you right out to the social media account. While you're there, give me an email address at my webpage and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the Brian McClanahan show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can also get your Brian McClanahan autograph there. Just order a book plate and I'll send it out to you. You can stick it on any one of my books that I've written. It's a great way to get my autograph. Almost painless. Uh, You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com where it's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do so. And of course, I've got eight courses available for purchase there. So if you... Want to get something great for what you spend, you get the podcast free of charge. But, of course, you can get a course if you buy one at McClanahan Academy. And if you register at McClanahan Academy, you get all the best deals. The notices on forthcoming courses, you get the best deal then. Um, If you give me an email address at brianmcclanahan.com, you'll also get deals, but you get the best ones if you're at McClanahan Academy. Uh, you can also support the show by going to Brian, I'm, I'm sorry, by going to BrianMcClanahan.com, clicking on the Shop tab. You can get all of my Brian McClanahan Show apparel, all kinds of great stuff on T-shirts, electronic device skins for electronic devices, stickers, wall plates, clocks, all kinds of cool things. So it's a great way to support the show and advertise the show. Also remember to uh, rate the show on your favorite, favorite podcast service. That way more people get it, listen to it, see it. Share it around on social media. All those things you can do to help the show are much appreciated. All right. Let's talk about the topic of the day. And this, in fact, is the last show I'm doing for 2019. So before I get into that, let's just say that uh, it's been a great 2019. I'm looking forward to 2020, staying on track, doing two, two shows a week. Hopefully, we'll be able to do that most of the time. Of course, I have more McClanahan Academy courses coming out. A lot of great stuff for 2020. And I do appreciate you being here for uh, this entire year. If you've listened to the podcast the entire year, thank you very much. If you're a new listener, thank you for, for checking it out. Um, but, again, make sure you uh, you share this thing around. If you like it, if you want to think locally, act locally, please do that. And in fact, it's fitting that we're going to end the year with a think locally, act locally episode. And it's going to be on this uh, move to, uh, for what they call you know, Second Amendment sanctuary counties in Virginia. So I've gotten a lot of emails about this. Hey, will you talk about this particular issue? And it re- how it relates to think locally, act locally. How it relates to real federalism. And I'm, I'm going to read a, an article by the USA Today, which, of course, is no friend of federalism. It's no friend of limited government or the Constitution and I, I want to talk about this particular article on this issue and then talk about the issue itself. And I'll, I'll do that, intersperse it, as I my, my comments on these things as I read the article. But first and foremost, I need to lay out some historical groundwork here and, and talk about how some things have been structured in American history. Number one, there's a misconception that nullification was born in the Virginia and Kentucky Resolutions of 1798. This is false. Nullification was born in the colonies as early as 1765, maybe even earlier. And it was born as a result of unconstitutional parliamentary declarations or laws. So if you go to 1765, of course, you have... The Stamp Act. And uh, there's a book by Edmund Morgan. And I, I'm sure I've mentioned this on this podcast before. I can't remember what I've said in every podcast. But I know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it. A book by Edmund Morgan entitled The Stamp Act Crisis. And I know that after I mentioned this, some of the, um, somewhere, some of the Tenth Amendment Center folks went out and got it. There's actually a, tit- a chapter titled Nullification. So here we are looking at a period of time, 1765, 1766. And the colonies are resorting to nullification. Now, what does that mean? It means they're simply not going to enforce the Stamp Act. So you had this position that the Stamp Act was unconstitutional. The colonies say, all right, we're just not going to enforce it here in Massachusetts, in Virginia, in Georgia. It was it was colonial-wide. All the various colonies were doing this. It wasn't just south. It wasn't just north. It wasn't mid-Atlantic. It was all the colonies were, were getting involved in this drive to make the Stamp Act unconstitutional. We know eventually it was repealed. But uh, this is a nice example of nullification long before we get to 1798. In fact, all that was happening in 1798 was that Jefferson and Madison were rekindling this colonial effort uh, to push nullification. Now, we also know nullification was used In 1774, with the Suffolk Resolves, that was nullification. Of course, that came out of Massachusetts. The people of Massachusetts, namely the courts of Massachusetts, were not going to prosecute people for violating the Coercive Acts. So here you have the colonial courts saying, all right, you might pass these Intolerable Acts or Coercive Acts, but we're just not going to enforce them here in Massachusetts. This was the people of the colonies saying, you can't do this. Now, those are both examples of a decentralized, essentially, federal system. If you read Jack Green and how he talks about the United States Constitution and, and not just that, the imperial constitution of the British, essentially the American constitution was built on the imperial structure of Great Britain. Namely, you had an executive and a parliament that were the central government, and then the colonies were supposed to handle their internal affairs. So when the Parliament and the King stepped over their constitutional authority, the Parliament, uh, I'm sorry, the, the colonies would step in and put a hedge up and say, You've gone too far, you can't do this. Now, the royal governors in Massachusetts, in particular, would say that this was completely fabricated. There's no there's no evidence that anyone else had ever tried this ever. In the British colonies, that this is something the the colonials were making up, that they weren't really that interested in in unconstitutional power. There are some other motives going on here before 1765. Now, that may or may not be true, but we do know in Virginia. And this is going to get into the topic of the day, which is these counties now resisting. State law, not federal law, but state law. And I'm going to talk about how this is all confusing as well um, when we look at the actual uh, the actual uh, policies and the nature of the state and the counties themselves. So in Virginia, in the colonial period, the government in Richmond could pass a law, essentially the royal governor in Richmond could pass a law. And the counties could refuse to enforce it. Now There was a historian named Andrew McLaughlin who pointed this out uh, and said, look, this is what happened in Virginia. It wasn't just colonies nullifying the laws of parliament. In Virginia, custom and precedent had it designed to where the counties would actually resist state or colonial, what became the state, colonial decisions From the center. Now you have to understand the nature of the colony in Virginia. It's a royal colony. So the governor is appointed by the king. So essentially the governor is the the king's representative in the colonies. He has the authority of the king. To oppose the governor is to also essentially oppose the king himself. So this is still essentially in a way opposition to the center. But the way that the colonials thought about it, at least ultimately, was that it wasn't opposition to the center. It was opposition to Virginia. This is an important distinction to make because as we get into this battle over what's going to happen in Virginia and other places, not just Virginia, but also Florida, as the USA Today Today piece is going to point out, what is the relationship between the counties and the states? Now, I've talked about this when it comes to Sanctuary cities, and sanctuary states. And even the USA Today piece gets into this. You've got some legal scholars on there. One of the things we have to remember about the cities and the counties and the state. The state creates the cities and counties. And I've talked about this on this podcast before. It's where you have to be very careful about saying counties and cities can nullify state law. You see, the states can nullify federal law because the states are the creators of the federal government. The states are also the creators of the counties and cities. So by default, there is no bottom-up recourse from the counties or the cities. However, However, if you look at the Virginia model in the colonial period, this certainly happened. And there's ways you can do this without having a resolution by a city or a county. Basically, what it comes down to is your sheriff or local law enforcement refusing to enforce what they consider to be an unconstitutional law. Now, the state can go in and prosecute these people for not upholding their oath to abide by state law. That could happen. This is entirely different than the general government and the state governments in a federal government law and a county refusing to enforce a federal law. There's the state in between that. And if the state is standing behind the county, then the federal government really can't do anything. But in this particular case, we're talking about a county or a city opposing the state. And so you have this in California. If the state of California decides it's not going to be a sanctuary state, then these sanctuary cities are going to be on very tenuous legal ground. On the other hand, if the state of California declares itself to be a sanctuary state, well, it's going to be very hard for the general government to do anything to California. Not only that, it gives cover to the cities and counties in California that want to avoid immigration law. Now, what about the counties and the cities in California that want to enforce it? Then you run into another issue because they can arrest those people, but then the states won't prosecute. You see, there's, <laughs> you're, you're looking at um, a, a, an entirely more complex situation there, or the federal government. I mean, if the state is not using local resources to round up uh, people who are illegal uh, aliens in, in the state of California, And they don't have to do it. The Supreme Court has already said that. That creates an entirely different monster in the state of California. But here we have in this particular instance, we're talking about counties and cities in Virginia that are refusing, if more strict gun control legislation is passed in the state of Virginia, refusing to enforce those laws. This is very important. Because, again, that relationship, the nature between the center, which is Virginia, and the counties and the cities, is of utmost importance in this particular discussion. Why? Because, again, the state created the counties and the cities. So the state could essentially say, you know what? We abolish your government. We abolish your city government. We're taking it over. You see, the state is sovereign in this way. Now, that's not what's happened And we have had, you know, sort of a victory here for the uh, for those who are opposed to stricter gun control legislation in Virginia. But we have to be very careful in saying that this is the proper way to go. With the counties and cities. Now, I mean, these people are essentially nullifying on an individual level. So you're just not going to. It doesn't matter what the state of the county, uh, state or or the city of the county says. If they're opposed to us, we're just going to do it anyways. Now, that's a very revolutionary position to take. It doesn't matter what the parliament says or the king says. We're just going to do it anyways. And so, this is what they've done. Now. I want to get into this piece by USA Today. I want to talk about how the USA Today is spinning the issue. And not just that. They bring up a couple of good points about this particular situation. And one of the more important issues is how the the, uh, efforts are being made and organized in Virginia. The most important part is that they're relying on a Second Amendment defense of their actions. Now, there's a major problem with that. The Second Amendment, according to the original Constitution, does not apply to the states. It applies to the general government only. So the states have complete power and control over uh, just about anything that's not delegated to the central authority, including gun control. Now, before I get into the USA Today piece, I'm going to stop here. I'll see you in just a few minutes. Take a brief break. I'll be right back. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a Ph.D. in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years, and I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, and students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that, and this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up, it's free, and I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do, but I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum and uh, my family is homeschooled. All of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum. That's why I designed the United States History eighteen to eighteen sixty five and eighteen sixty five to present. You've got enough material. You've got lesson plans. You've got uh, tests. You've got reading material. You've got reading seminars. You've got thirty six weeks. If you take them, buy them both. You've got thirty six weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum. Or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise. But it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll, and I'll see you there. All right, so we're back. We're talking about Virginia, the sanctuary counties, and the Second Amendment, and gun control, and all of these things. So and the last segment, I talked about the historical precedent for this type of action in Virginia. This is something that Virginia had done before in the colonial period. But when you look at the federal structure of the United States, and you look at the states, and you look at how that works, they're on tenuous legal ground. There's also something that Virginia is doing which is backwards when they're, when they're talking about, quote-unquote, Second Amendment sanctuary counties. What they should be doing is putting pressure on the state government to follow the Constitution of Virginia. Because, you see, this is not really a Second Amendment issue. This is a state issue for the state Bill of Rights and the state Constitution. Let me read, before I get into the the USA Today piece, let me read from the Constitution of the State of Virginia, from Section 1, or I should say Article 1, excuse me, the Bill of Rights, Section 13. Article 1, Section 13, Constitution of Virginia. It says, That a well-regulated militia composed of the body of the people, composed of the body of the people, trained in arms, is the proper, natural, and safe defense of a free state. Therefore, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That standing armies in times of peace should be avoided as dangerous to liberty and that in all cases the military should be under strict subordination to and governed by the civil power. Now, I know what you're going to say. Well, I mean, this doesn't say that they cannot regulate the right of the people to keep and bear arms. But if you take away their ability to hold firearms, whatever firearm that may be, They are in violation of the state constitution of Virginia. This is not a Second Amendment issue in Virginia. It is a state constitution issue. It's an Article 1, Section 13 issue in the state of Virginia. And I would encourage anyone who listens to this podcast in the state of Virginia, and you're looking at these things, to pull out your state constitution and say, hey, lawmaker, you're violating your oath to preserve The state constitution of Virginia, because by saying you are going to pass gun control legislation, you are directly violating the Virginia constitution. And that should be the first challenge, not a Second Amendment challenge, because what you're doing there is buying into this faulty doctrine of incorporation, which doesn't exist. I've talked about it on this podcast. I've gotten into it before in other areas. Incorporation does not exist. If you want a more detailed explanation of that, get my American Constitutions class where I go into that in much more, uh, explain it much more, or my How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, I talk about it there. But incorporation is a faulty doctrine. So let me get into this USA Today piece by Ryan Miller, published on December 11th, 2019. Virginia counties are declaring themselves sanctuaries for Second Amendment. Will it affect gun laws? So here is the problem. They're already setting this up as a Second Amendment issue. It's not. This is where the, Link- the Lincolnian myth has really ruined America. Because it should not be a Second Amendment. What this should say is that Virginia counties are declaring themselves sanctuaries for Article 1, Section 13 of the Virginia Constitution. Because that's what's being violated here. If the Democrats who have now won the legislature and the governorship, of course they already had that, but now they control the legislature, if they decide to pass legislation restricting firearms ownership. This is a state issue and a violation of the state constitution. This is not the federal government passing gun control legislation, which would be then a Second Amendment issue. It's the state passing gun control legislation, which would not be a Second Amendment issue. It would be a Virginia Constitution issue, Article 1, Section 13. A wave of counties and towns in Virginia declaring themselves sanctuaries for the Second Amendment, but the resolutions are largely symbolic, legal experts say. The Bush comes in anticipation of Democrat-controlled General Assembly that will take office in January. State lawmakers, along with Governor Ralph Northam, have promised Virginians a host of stricter gun laws as Democrats take full power in the state for the first time in decades. More than 40 local governments have passed resolutions to protect citizens' Second Amendment rights against the potential laws they say are unconstitutional. Now, here's the thing. It's not Second Amendment rights. This is If you want to go and pull a legal block on this, say this is in violation of Article 1, Section 13 of the Virginia Constitution. That's what you need to be addressing gun safety advocates gun safety gun safety what a stupid phrase gun safety advocates and some legal experts however call the resolutions publicity stunts that lack the force of law here's what to you know about second amendments i'm sorry second amendment sanctuaries first do second amendment sanctuary resolutions change the law it's mostly a political statement says Richard Schrager, a professor at the University of Virginia School of Law, who focuses on the intersection of the Constitution and local law. Rather than challenging the existing statute, these resolutions are mostly expressive and symbolic declarations, he said. "If Virginia, state law supersedes local law. Citizens and local officials have to comply with state law, even if a county declares itself to be a Second Amendment sanctuary, Schrager added. Well, he's correct about this in a way But there's an issue that hes it's the unspoken issue here. They have to comply with the law if they're going to be arrested for it. This is where the local law enforcement comes into play. If they're not going to enforce it, I mean, is the state going to send out the state police to every single door in Virginia and try to say, hey, look. You're, uh, you're in violation here, or are they going to go to every single gun show or every single thing that they're going to do to try to block this? I mean, this is an issue. How is this going to be enforced? How are the counties going to do this? Now, the I'll talk about what's happened with this in a second, but certainly there are some things to think about here. How would this actually work? Because you're talking about individuals as opposed, uh, opposed to the state, which has, as Schrager is, is 100% right about this, As a creation of the state, the counties and the cities are subject to state jurisdiction. The state could abolish these counties or cities anytime they want to. They could just say, you know what, your county doesn't exist. But this is where local sheriffs and local law enforcement come into play. Dana Dana Schrad, executive director of the Virginia Association of Chiefs of Police, said the resolutions are meant to put political pressure on elected officials. Before the election of Virginia, gun policy was the most important voting issue among both Democrats and Republicans, according to a Washington Post-George Mason University poll. Democrats campaigned on a slew of possible new restrictions, including universal background checks for gun buyers, limits on the sale of certain types of firearms, and a red flag law that would allow guns to be taken from a person deemed by a court to pose a danger to themselves or others. After a mass shooting in May at a municipal building in Virginia Beach left 12 people dead, Northern called a special legislative session and lied to consider many of the measures. But Republicans adjourned it, rejecting them all without a vote. Northam said he'd revisit the proposals in January. Now, the Democrats have now, because of the sanctuary, these declarations, have said we're not going to do this. Because they know that they're going to lose. They're going to lose elections if they continue this process. You see... For all of the hubbubaloo about what happened here in Virginia, this was what you would call an off-election year election, right? It's a, it's a midterm election, sort of. It wasn't even really that, because this happened in a year when nothing was really going on. So you get more people going to the polls in years when you have a presidential election, and... Let me tell you, it's more dangerous to do these things then. You see, for all the laser beam focus on the presidency that's problematic, one thing that does happen is voter turnout is higher in those years. So this is why states and others try to get these things done in non-presidential election years because they know turnout's going to be lower. And all you got to do is organize some people and get them out there. And maybe you can swing a, a legislature in one direction or another. So the piece continues. USA Today. Why do gun owners support sanctuaries? Supporters of the sanctuary resolution say they believe the proposed gun measures could infringe on their Second Amendment rights. No, no, no. It's not their Second Amendment rights. It's their Article I, Section 13 rights under the Virginia Constitution. I want to tell all of you, please, send this. Send this to all the people you know who are in Virginia, who are battling this issue. Let them focus on their state constitution. This is a state issue, not a federal issue. There's no federal Second Amendment right being infringed here because the federal government is not doing any of this stuff. It's taking a stand to protect your constitutional rights and sending a message to Richmond that we will not stand by and do nothing, said Pam Carter, a local official in Augusta County. The Board of Supervisors approved a resolution to become a Second Amendment sanctuary early this month. Pam Carter needs to understand it's you're right. It is your constitutional rights under the Virginia Constitution. You're in Virginia. Joyce Malcolm, a professor of constitutional law and the Second Amendment at George Mason University, said some of the gun restriction proposals could be challenged in court. Well, of course they all would be. You ought not to have to abide by something that is blatantly unconstitutional, she said. Well, that's true. You ought not to. You don't have to. This is what Jefferson from Virginia and Madison from Virginia said. And, of course, a whole slew of other people from other colonies and states said as well in the colonial period and the early federal period leading up to the idiotic position of incorporation. However, Schrager at UVA said similar regulations in other states have not been struck down as unconstitutional. They're very standard and conventional gun regulations, he said. Well, this is true. But if they violate the state constitution, that's highly problematic. So they should be attacking this as a state issue. Now, I'm not sure who controls the Supreme Court of Virginia, if it's Democrats or Republicans or where they stand, but they should go to Virginia first. I'd have to look this up, and I, I don't want to stop the podcast to look it up. Uh, but certainly this is a state issue, and it's a violation of the state constitution. Many of the sanctuary resolutions have featured similar language and come from organizations like the Virginia Citizens Defense League, a statewide group that supports rights to bear arms. The group's president, Philip Van Cleve, told the Washington Post that his group drafted many of the county's resolutions. I've never seen anything like this, he told the Post of the movement. Everything is exploded right now. Gun owners are awake. Van Cleve did not respond to USA Today's request for comment. So, this is great, Van Cleve, but Van Cleve, you need to be focusing on your state constitution. Because you are setting yourself up for disaster if you try to go to the feds because this idea of incorporation, Second Amendment, all of that, it's dangerous to rely on the federal government to protect you. You need to rely on the state constitution. So, next part. Will law enforcement ignore gun laws? In general, the local resolutions do not compel law enforcement to ignore state law, rather to uphold the Second Amendment, said Shrad with the state chiefs of police association. The resolutions don't have the force of law, she said. "They are policy statements that don't empower localities to turn a blind eye to what is state law. Nick Suplina, managing director for law and policy at the anti-gun violence nonprofit Every Town for Gun Safety, said he does not know of an example where enforcement of state law was refused in practice. He doesn't? Well, how about all the historical examples that are out there of this? I mean, this is just stupid. Legally, public officials may risk official immunity if they're refusing to enforce an action required by law. He said, "Okay, so if uh, the state law says you can't spit on the sidewalk and the officers refuse to enforce that, should they be thrown in jail for that? Should they uh, have should they be stripped of their law enforcement badge for that? I mean, this stuff happens all the time, all the time. Laws are not enforced. In a statement to USA Today, Charlotte Gomer, press secretary for Virginia, Attorney General Mark Herring, said his office expects all laws passed by the General Assembly will be followed. It's not clear what authority they think they have to preemptively opt out of gun safety laws. she said. Well, they just won't enforce them. I mean, and then you're going to have to go arrest all these people, and that's going to create a massive public relations disaster for the state of Virginia, which is why they've backed down. You see... The important thing to understand about this, wherever nullification has been tried, it works because of PR. It works. Where else have Second Amendment sanctuaries been adopted? Across the United States, dozens of counties and cities have adopted the Second Amendment Sanctuary resolutions, Virginia localities are among the latest in the broader push. In Florida, three days after the deadly shooting at Pensacola Naval Air Base, or Naval Base, excuse me, December 6th, neighboring Santa Rosa County passed a resolution declaring the county a Second Amendment sanctuary. Again, the problem is this is not a Second Amendment issue. This is a state constitution issue. We need to drop this whole idea of Second Amendment sanctuary and focus on your state constitutions. Yes, the the Schwager, whatever the heck his name was there at, that UVA is right, that other states have done the same thing, but other states don't have the same type of language in their Bill of Rights that the state of Virginia has. If they have that language, then these things are unconstitutional. You see? So this is where the state constitution comes into play. You have to abide by the state constitution. How do these these, uh, differ from sanctuary cities on immigration laws? The USA Today continues. In immigration sanctuary cities and states, local officials say they won't comply with enforcements of immigration laws. The key difference is the laws in question are federal, says Schrager, whereas Second Amendment sanctuaries concern potential state laws. He's exactly right about this. The federal government can't force local officials to turn people over to immigration officials in the course of their policing duties. He said, in gun sanctuaries, that is not the case. When the state is adopting laws that local officials are oath-bound to enforce, local officials are enforcing state law all the time. Well, that's that's true, unless you follow Virginia precedent, which is they did this stuff all the time. I mean, a judge can refuse. This is where you get to jury nullification. This is where you get to judges saying, you know what, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to give you a, a, a sentence on this. We're just going to refuse to do it. And a commonwealth like Virginia, officers are of the, of the law are sworn to uphold the constitutional laws of the commonwealth. Said Shrad, exactly right. So let me read that Constitution of the Commonwealth quote. The well-regulated militia composed of the body of the people trained in arms is the proper, natural, and safe defense of a free state. Therefore, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Standing armies in times of peace should be avoided as dangerous to liberty and that in all cases the military shall be under strict subordination to and governed by the civil power. So there you have it. There you have it. It's in the Virginia Constitution. I agree. I agree. Um, And, you know, there's really not much else in the Constitution that says that the state can do X, Y, or Z. Now, that's, of course, the nature of, of state government. They can do basically whatever they want. They have unlimited power as long as it's not restricted by the Constitution. But in this case, it is restricted by the Constitution because they are infringing on a right of a citizen of Virginia to keep and bear arms if they say you cannot have this type of firearm. So, that is the point that needs to be made. To all of these people, Shrad is correct. Schrager is correct on that. So what needs to happen is they need to drop this thing. Well, it's the Second Amendment sanctuary. Say it's an Article 1, Section 13 sanctuary. We are upholding the Virginia Constitution. So again, far and wide on this particular issue, send this out as much as you can. Let people know. Follow the Virginia Constitution. We need to be looking at these things as a defense of civil liberties in America. No matter what the civil liberty is, gun control is one of them. But there's many, many others. Focus on the state constitutions. Use the language of the state constitutions to your defense because that's the way you knock these people down. Now, again, as I said, because these people in Virginia have done this, grassroots, the the state, northern, and the Democrats have essentially backed down and said they're not going to revisit this issue right now. I give that a very brief Period. As soon as something else happens, unfortunately, we have these things happen. As soon as something, because we have mentally ill people who do mentally ill things, as soon as something else happens, uh, there will be another push for these. Um, So, you know, but the point is, we've got the state constitutions. We need to follow those. We need to hold legislators' feet to the fire. I mean, these are our political moves, but we need to ensure that legislators understand they're violating their oath to support the Virginia Constitution. All right. So that's my two cents on this. Again, my last podcast for 2019 for the Brian McClanahan Show. I will see you in 2020. If you want more of me, there will be one more Abbeville Institute podcast in 2019 following this one. You could get that as well, uh, but um, I am uh, going to be taking a couple of weeks off. I will be back the week of January 6th, so look for The Brian McClanahan Show to come back January 6th. Um, send your ideas, what you might want me to talk about. I'm sure there will be a lot of things to talk about in a couple of weeks that I'm off, uh, but have a very Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful new year. I hope everyone stays safe and has a happy and uh, productive and relaxing holiday season. And uh, I will see you in 2020. See you next year. <laughs>